0: On his website, an internationally known preacher, an author, and televangelist, calls for people to give to his ministry. And he says the following, he gives the following promise. Are you ready for God's abundance to literally pour over you? Are you ready to be debt free? Is it is it time for you to stop living from paycheck to paycheck? If so, God's increase is about to be revealed to you in an unprecedented way. If you have been at a low-level harvest for a long time, then it's time to release your prosperity with higher seed-level giving and a greater expectation of an unprecedented harvest. It's time to move into high gear and release the prosperity anointing over yourself And your loved ones. Today, I'm asking you to move up to a higher level. I believe strongly that I'm supposed to ask God's people right now to prayerfully consider giving a sacrificial gift of a thousand dollars. And of course, what he means is to give him that sacrificial gift of a thousand dollars. And to back up his appeal... And his promise, he quotes from a passage this morning, from second, uh, Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. He's just one of many church and parachurch leaders who claim that it's God's will for you to be prosperous. And the way that you can enjoy prosperity is through giving generously to them and their ministry. But is this how Christian giving is supposed to work? Has God chosen generosity to be the means by which we can be financially wealthy? Are we supposed to give sacrificially so we can enjoy prosperity? Well, this morning we're going to have a a closer look at this passage. To try and discover what God says are the real results of giving. In this third section in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we're going to start at verse 6, down to the end of, of the chapter. As, as if you've been here for the last couple of weeks, you'll know that we've been looking at the subject of giving, and we're now at the third uh, passage on that. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, He has scattered abroad His gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of this service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. And for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. It's a simple lesson from the world of agriculture. That, sorry, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. If you hold on to your seed and sow it in a barn somewhere, then your harvest next year is going to be ridiculously poor. But if you open up that barn and sow your seed, then provided the weather is favorable, you can be confident your harvest is going to be plentiful. And I think we can see that this this principle kind of holds true in many aspects of our lives, doesn't it? In business, those companies that hold on to their profits don't usually grow as much as those who reinvest them. In education, if you can remember being back in those days, those who didn't study at all usually got poorer results than those who put their time and their effort into studying hard. Or if you were more more into your sport, those who trained less are always going to be less successful than those who give everything to their sport and train hard. Even in relationships, those who give less of themselves get less out of those connections as compared to those who devote themselves to their friends or their family. Of course, there can be exceptions in this world. Recessions, disasters, injustices can happen. But this is the way they work, the world usually works. How we sow determines how we reap. But here Paul said that this is the way that God has chosen to work through giving. When we give sparingly, we'll also reap sparingly. When we give generously, we will reap generously. Generously. What does that mean? What does it mean to give generously? And if we do, what kind of generous harvest should we expect God to enable us to reap? So first of all, what does it mean to to give generously? Well, hopefully some of you will remember that this passage is Paul continuing to encourage this church in Corinth... To be involved in his collection of money for the poor Christians who were living in Jerusalem. Two weeks ago we learned how Paul wanted them to give graciously and generously and sacrificially and completely and eagerly and lovingly and proportionately and equitably and gratefully. And then last week we thought about how he wanted them to be organised in their giving. And to be careful in their giving and transparent and accountable so that they would do what was right in the eyes of the Lord and in the eyes of men. And here again Paul emphasized that how we give was crucially important. Some people claim that the Bible teaches us that as Christians that we should tithe to our church. That that means that we should give 10% of our income to our church. It comes from this Old Testament law. Leviticus chapter 27. A tithe or a 10% of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. And so the the people of Israel, they were to to give a tenth of all of their their produce to the Lord. It was given to the Levites to support them as they served in the temple. And then also to support the poor in the community. But this law of tithing isn't repeated in in the New Testament. It's not taught in the New Testament. Instead, Paul says here, That how much we give isn't a rule to follow, rather it's a decision, a personal decision that we should make in our hearts. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give. Each of us should personally, carefully, prayerfully decide how much of the resources that of course God has given us that we should give away to others. And he said as we do that, we need to give willingly and voluntarily. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. We must never give grudgingly. We must never give resentfully. We mustn't give just out of a sense of obligation or duty or guilt. Or just because everybody else is doing it and we just want to look as good as they look. Hope they do it. If we give in that way, then the Bible says that our giving is absolutely worthless in God's eyes. Paul said this in his first letter to the church. This wonderful passage, 1 Corinthians 13. It's often read at weddings, but it really is applicable in much more than that. It says this, If I give all I possess to the poor, and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, Again, nothing. So it doesn't matter how much we give if we don't give from a a place of love in our hearts. In God's eyes. That's worthless. That's empty. That's meaningless. So instead we should give willingly. Eagerly. With real joy. Joy. For God loves a cheerful giver. Now, every time I read that verse, my mind goes back to uh, uh, the the pastor of the church, old pastor, he's passed away, he's with the Lord now, who used to be the pastor of the church that we are commended from in Scotland, that Lauren and I are are from. He would often say that this says, and it does say literally, God loves a hilarious giver. God loves it when we give with a huge big smile on our face. With laughter in our hearts. With real joy. With that sense of celebration because we just love to give. God loves it when we give because we desperately want to help people in any way we can. Because we feel such privilege to be able to partner with God's people. Because we're excited to be involved in God's kingdom. And because we just love to honour our Lord with the money that he has given to us. That's how we should give. Maybe it just sticks in the mind because it's kind of not very Scottish as most people think to give in that way. So this idea of tithing Giving 10% of our income. That, that law from the Old Testament. At best, that could only be just a helpful guide. At best, it's just a starting point. At which to begin a lifestyle of generous giving. It's not a rule to impose. Neither is it a standard at which to stop at. I've given my 10% so I've done my duty kind of idea. God wants us to go beyond that kind of thinking. Instead, as we saw two weeks ago, God wants us to to decide how much we give in response to and a reflection of the grace of God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich in the eternity in heaven, yet for your sakes He became poor, as we were thinking about in communion, coming right down to the cross, so that you, through His poverty, might become rich as a child of God. God wants us to give generously, to reflect His generosity to us so it's never a case that we ever say well I've done my duty I've done my bit it's always something that we need to give and give and give so God wants us to sow generously and he promises that when we do we will reap generously but what does that mean? What is the harvest for generous giving? Well, I think in our passage we see it in four areas. There's a harvest for other people, a harvest for our church, a harvest for ourselves, and ultimately a harvest for the Lord. Let's just look at each of these just very briefly. First of all, our giving results in other people being helped? The service that you perform is supplying the needs of God's people, Paul says in verse 12. As a result of this collection, the poor believers in Jerusalem had their needs met. They were able to buy the food or the clothing or the shelter that they so desperately needed. And our giving too can result in people being really helped. I think it's an amazing encouragement to think that our giving here in church can just transform people's lives. It can supply their everyday needs. It can ease their suffering. It can even lead people to come to salvation as we support people who are involved in sharing the gospel, often in other parts of the world where we will never be And yet we can partner with them in their ministry. What an amazing privilege we have. Just through something simple like giving. Secondly, but this can also impact our church. As our fellowship with other believers is strengthened. Paul said that one of the results of the Corinthians giving to the Jewish believers was that in their prayers for all of you, their hearts will go out to you. These Christians in Corinth and in Jerusalem were completely separated in so many ways. By their race, their religious background, their culture, their language, their lifestyle, and of course by hundreds of miles. They would probably never meet each other this side of eternity. And yet as a result of this, this gift of love, their hearts would be united together there would be a deep connection formed between them. As the Corinthians reached in compassion to their Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ, so these Jewish believers would respond in prayer for them. And this unity of the church, where there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you're all one in Christ, this true unity of the church would not just be a theoretical But it would be a living and breathing reality. Gracious and generous giving unites God's people. It reminds us that we are part of the body of Christ. This huge, diverse, international, multiracial, multigenerational family that we have been adopted into through our faith in Christ. And so I think it gives us a taste of heaven. Because there there will be people from every nation, tribe and people and language, standing before the throne in the front of the Lamb. And through our giving we can express that connection that we have with our brothers and sisters all over this world. So there's a harvest in other, for other people. And a harvest for our church. But it's not just them that, that are impacted by our giving. There's also a harvest in our lives too. As a result of our generous giving, Paul said that you will be made rich in every way. Now here we're getting into the place where, on first glance, this might seem to fit into that idea of those prosperity teachers. Those who say, give and you'll become rich. It might seem from this, if you read it really quickly, that Paul is saying that if we give our money away, then we'll get much more back. But I hope you know me well enough to know that that's not what I believe Paul is saying at all. Because how much money we have is never how God defines how rich we are. That's not what true wealth is. In God's sight. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 10 says this. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. Money deceives us. It promises us that if we just get a little tiny bit more, then we'll be happy. Then we'll be satisfied. Then our problems will be sorted. And are they? No. Loving money always leaves us empty. Dissatisfied. Wanting more. But money isn't only deceptive. It's also dangerous. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and 9. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. If our goal is to get more money then it's going to mess up our lives. It's going to lead us into all sorts of problems. Our prisons are full of people who fell into that trap aren't they? Loads of people who have never been caught this side of eternity have fallen to that trap. Loads of people have ignored their families because they've fallen into that trap. But you know the the biggest danger? Loving money is disastrous because it leads us away from God. Jesus taught, you cannot, you cannot Serve both God and money. Impossible. And one of Jesus' most well-known parables is a warning against greed. And against this thinking that our lives are defined by how many possessions we have. It's about a rich farmer who builds bigger barns to store all his bumper crops. And he thinks to himself, take life easy. Eat, drink and be merry. And God calls him a fool. A fool. Because that night he dies and leaves it all behind. And all the stuff that this guy valued so much, ultimately is worthless for him. And Jesus' conclusion is, This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. So ultimately, what matters to God is not being rich according to our bank balance, or our property, or our possessions, or our pension, but being rich towards God. True wealth is about being in a right relationship with God. It's about loving Him, living for Him, serving Him, being satisfied with Him. And this is the kind of harvest that generous giving can increase in our lives. True wealth. I'm just to try and unpack that a little bit. I think, first of all, our identity is confirmed when we give. Paul says in verse 13, the service by which you have proved yourselves. Now, we're not saved because we are generous givers. Of course we're not. We're saved just through our simple faith in Christ. But our acceptance of the gospel and the reality of our salvation is demonstrated by our generous giving. This is what John writes in 1 John 3 and 14. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. It's not the only test that we're a child of God. But the reality of God's love flowing through us into generous giving can be such an encouraging assurance that we are, truly belong to God. That we're reflecting the character and the values and the priorities of our Heavenly Father. Secondly, generous giving leads to our needs being supplied. This wonderful verse in verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, having all that you need, Again, I don't think that means that if we give generously, we're going to be wealthy. If you just think about it for a minute, if prosperity was the guaranteed result of our generosity, then the poverty of the Christians in Jerusalem, you know, the, the people that Paul was collecting this money for, that poverty would be their fault. They would pay to blame for that. Their suffering would simply because they weren't being generous enough. And Paul wouldn't need to collect money from the Corinthians to take to the, the, the Christians in Jerusalem. All he would need to tell the Christians in Jerusalem is, give more. And you'll become prosperous. you become wealthy. you become rich. So it's not about becoming wealthy. But it is about learning to depend on When we give generously, because we're a child of God, we stop relying on our own resources. We stop relying on our own income to meet our needs. We stop thinking that money is our God. And we give it away. Because instead we're trusting in God to provide for what we need. And God will provide what we need. In any way that He chooses. He could provide what we need by blessing our business or by giving us that promotion or by getting us that job or increasing our investments. Of course God can do that. Or He might give us all that we need by giving us endurance. By helping us to live more simply and not getting pulled into wanting more and more stuff. By teaching us true contentment. By freeing us from the deception of our materialism that is so rampant in the world around us. However God chooses to meet our needs, He guarantees that whatever our circumstances, whatever our challenges, whatever our struggles, God will provide what we really need. Because as the Lord said to Paul, as he records in chapter 12 of this letter, my grace is sufficient for you. Whatever the external circumstances of our lives, God's grace is enough.
1: What an amazing
0: truth to hold on to in our lives. And as God meets our need through his grace, His goal is that you will abound in every good work. And so that you can be generous on every occasion. This is the harvest of generous giving in our lives. The more we give, the more God gives us the opportunity, the resources and the desire to give. And the result of this will be that God will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Not the size of your bank balance. Not the square footage of your house, necessarily. But enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Our lives will more and more display the righteousness of God in practical and meaningful ways. Ways that, will, that, will, that God will celebrate and reward in heaven forever. That's why Paul quotes, I think, from Psalm 112. He has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Remember the wonderful promise that Jesus gave to his disciples? Even a cup of cold water given in my name will certainly not lose its reward. Our Righteousness will endure forever. So generous giving does make us rich. Not financially. But rich in assurance. As we see the reality of our identity lived out in our lives. Rich in faith. As we grow in our dependence on the all-sufficient grace of God. And rich in compassion as we go deeper into that lifestyle of generous giving. What an amazing harvest that God wants to give us. But the ultimate harvest, it's not about us. Paul says, verse 11, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. He said it will overflow in many expressions of thanks to God. Verse 12. And as a result, verse 13, men will praise God. That's because those who experience and see this gift won't keep the praise and the thanks on the Corinthians or the Macedonians or any of the other Christians. They won't think, oh wow, these Corinthians are amazing, these Macedonians are amazing, Paul is amazing. They won't think that. Instead, they will look beyond them. And they will see that the ultimate source of this generosity is the surpassing grace that God has given you. They will see in that generosity God's grace expressed. Because it's God who saved these believers. It's God who has poured His love into their hearts. It is God who has transformed their lives. It's God who gave them the desire and the resources so they could give. And so all of the praise and all of the honour and all of the thanks ultimately goes to God Himself. That's why Paul ends his passage on giving. With his own declaration of praise. Thanks be to God. For his indescribable gift. Because that's our goal. In giving, isn't it? That we'll give God all of the glory. And that we will in some way be able to express. How much we love and value. And honour the Lord. Who gave his life for us. So I really pray that none of us will be drawn into thinking of the thinking of the prosperity gospel that we should give sacrificially so that we could become financially prosperous, that we could become rich and wealthy and live in luxury. I hope we will see through that and we will reject that. But neither do do we want to forget that Jesus has said that it's more blessed To give and to receive. Giving is a blessing in our lives. Because when we give generously, it will result in a generous harvest. As other people are helped. As our fellowship is strengthened. As our lives are enriched in ways that really matter. And as our Lord is glorified.